this is going to be a voice in the wilderness podcast channel and this is going to be random thoughts number five but first a prayer in the name of the father son and the holy ghost amen all that i am all that i have all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, glory, and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. So, this random thought. Um... I was just, I was just doing some thinking, and I was thinking, I was thinking about what Father Bernard Utley said in his Spiritual Life podcast series on True Rester, uh, well, True Restoration slash Norbus Ordo Watch said. And he was talking about how part of true Catholic spiritual life is you find you find the spiritual tools that you're comfortable with, that you like working with, and you use them until you get led to try something new. I was thinking about that statement because... I think one of my the biggest draws for true Catholicism for me is the fact that you're not regimented. One of my things as a person is I like if I'm on a job, a job, a project you know, something where I'm given a task to complete or, and, you know, if, if I have something that I want to do, you know, uh, I'm using that too as an example. I like being, you know, if it's somebody else saying, hey, I need you to do this, I like being told, Okay, here are your parameters. Don't do this, this, and this. Don't do, don't do that. And this is what I want done. And this is when I want it done by. And then the person, whoever that is, goes buggers off and lets me do it. They, they don't care how I do it. As long as I do it within their parameters and the job gets done. And that's basically what I call true Catholicism or Sedevacantism, pre-Vatican II Catholicism, in a nutshell. God gives you the parameters, you know, he... He puts in in his catechisms of his true church in his Bible and he tells the people you know who are actually trying to live their faith what's expected of them but outside of that you know how they how they get to heaven, they're allowed to use whatever tools and materials as long as it's approved by the true Catholic Church. 
they, you know, they can use whatever tools and materials as long as it's approved necessary to get to heaven. You're not regimented. And I was thinking about this tonight. Well, I'm not going to be hyperbolic here. It took me a few years after I got out of the military or out of the army to realize why I was not a good fit in the army. Because, of course, you know, people being people, I had some NCOs who operated under the principle of, okay, I need this done. I need it done by this time. How, I don't care how you do it. It needs to get done. For that matter, I've also worked for bosses like that. But in the military, um, for the most part, it's very regimented. They, you know, you, you got to do it, quote unquote, the army way. And I've always been the type of person and... I just think this is the way God made me that I I would just much rather do it in a way that I'm comfortable with and as long as the job gets done does it really matter Now there obviously because I know I'm going to get some 300 IQ takers on this one well, if you're working in a chemistry lab or if you're looking, whoa, working in a nuclear lab, you got to do things a precise way, a proper way. Yeah, genius, I know this. Okay, I'm not, I'm not talking in areas where precision and needing the necessity to following a fixed formula is a necessity. I'm not talking in things like this. I'm talking about in day-to-day existence. Okay? The the nuclear physicist, the chemist, uh, the engineer, the doctor, the surgeon, nobody gives them precise instructions. Oh, I don't know on how to drive their car, uh, how to make their favorite meal, uh, how to get dressed. You know, when they are doing these, these jobs, precision is a necessity. And another thing, which ironically enough, the... The particular autistic set of contests online um, who um, basically um, spurred out if you're not, you know, if you're not doing things the way they think it should be done are the same people, and by the way, you know, when I say this, well, never mind, I won't go there, but um, but they're the same people who don't understand the concept. And by the way, once again, you know, not to, I'm not going to go there either. What I'm going to say is, is it is a matter of pre-Vatican II Catholic dogma teaching that if you are a priest or a prelate or for that matter a um a teacher of some sort you know you you don't necessarily have to be a seminary professor you could be a nun teaching a class or you could be a layman uh doing apologetics that you are to use precise terms 
when you are talking about dogma and theology. That, like, well, I, I will use this example. Let's just say you're in the U.S. military and you are company commander and you're in the infantry and you have to give an order to three platoons. Uh, you're talking to the three pl uh, platoon lieutenants on how they're to take a certain objective. Your terms have to be precise and unequivocal and simple so that when the bullets start flying, that your, your, your uh, platoon commanders, the lieutenants, don't get confused in the heat of battle and do the exact opposite of what you told them to do. Okay, now I do realize there's a difference between the heat of battle and writing a, a book. But the principle is the same because if you're writing a book, it doesn't matter if it's on Catholic spirituality, uh, the catechism, or... Um, a history book, there can be no ambiguity. There just, there can't be. And you cannot be ceding ground to your enemy, i.e. calling Protestants our separated brethren. So, in that respect, and once again, because it's been a it's been a few episodes since I've made this point. Any my longtime listeners will recognize what I what I said, and I'm pretty sure, not that I would know, but I'm pretty sure they would agree with me when they when I say that I use I have particular terms that I use and I I say things in a particular way. Now, because my articulation sucks, um sometimes this doesn't always get accomplished, but when I say things like neo-Catholic, neo-traditionalist, heretic, schismatic, this, this is not hyperbole. This is not me um, just using cute little verbiage, you know, to make my podcast interesting. There's a reason behind everything that I do on these podcasts, like it or not. Um, and I try to keep my terms as simple as I can. Now, I do realize that some people have said that I use a lot of 10-cent words. Um, in that particular instance, when I got told that, I tried to simplify my vocabulary going along with the whole concept that I outlined in an earlier episode about knowing your audience. And even, you know, I've, I've read a lot of books. I've, I've read a lot of books. This is not bragging on my part. It's just stating fact. So I picked up a lot of uh, words that a lot of people have never heard of. And sometimes I deal in concepts with a lot of people are ignorant about. So I try to use a 
as simple of a vocabulary as I can. And I try to keep the concepts relatively simple. Now, I know I've, I've gone into historical instances, but for the most part, the only time I delve into history is if it is absolutely necessary to, to make a salient point that it's absolutely necessary to bring the history into it. Otherwise, I try to keep things simple. Now, having said this, I'm also going to say bluntly, there's a reason I list sources. There is an absolute reason I list sources. I do not consider myself a teacher. I'm, I'm not suited to be a teacher, neither uh, constitutionally nor uh, character-wise. I'm not suited to be a teacher. And furthermore, um, I'm going to be flat-out honest and say that uh, a, a lot of people in this day and age, um, are used to being um, indulged or coddled. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. I'm going to point you in the right direction. If I talk about something of World War II, and that's something that, you know, either you want to verify for yourself or it interests you. Um, if you hear me talk about it, you got to do your own research. It's the same thing with true Catholicism. And by the way, I have not strayed from the main point of this random thought. That's another thing I love. Well, that's, that's part of the independence that being a true Catholic gives you is you can do your own research. Unlike, unlike YouTube, unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, name your social media website, there are no approved, I mean, there are approved sources, but within those parameters, you are pretty much allowed to pick and choose your sources as long as they have a censor stamp of approval and an imprimatur. If they have those, if, if, if you're talking about a certain subject or writing about a certain subject, you can use whatever approved sources that you want to. You're not limited. The only thing that limits you is using anything outside of the pre-Vatican II Council Catholic Church Or anything heretical or schismatic. Other than that, you know, only only your your knowledge limits you. And I really, I really am grateful in this regard. Um that's why I'm always harping on, and yes, I do harp, on the fact that, you know, I challenge anyone, and when I say anyone, I'm mainly talking about the autistic 300 IQ takers that is a certain segment of set of contism. Check my sources. Listen to everything I've ever said. I can defend everything that I've said, and I have no issue doing that if, if, if it should be necessary, because nothing I've said has not already been said before. And one of the shameful facts of Catholic history, and I'm talking true Catholic, not anything that came after 1960, is the fact that 
I, I use St. John of the Cross as my primary example, although it's happened to other saints, where he was actually put in prison by the Spanish Inquisition because they thought, or at least a certain segment of them thought, that he was trying to innovate. When I say innovate, I'm just saying that he was, he would. They were they were accusing him of going outside of approved Catholic doctrine and dogma of his time. When in fact, it was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, otherwise the man would not be a saint, that he was just taking previous teachings and he was, he, the, the, the core truth was the same, but he was, you know, uh, according to the what the Holy Ghost was doing through him, he was doing it a different way, but the core truth was the same. And while I'm on this, um, a lot of said vacantes, and for that matter, pre-Vatican II Council Catholics, they fall into the trap of making a God out of tradition. Now, when I say tradition, I'm not talking about the core tenets of our belief system. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is is, well, to use a pertinent example, um, I've yet to run into a pre-Vatican II um, council Catholic prayer book that does not use the Dewey Reigns English. For those of you who are not aware, the Dewey Reigns was written in the 16th century for English Catholics. Now, why we would be using words from the 15th century, uh, I'm sorry, 16th century, English words, in the 20th century, to me, it's making a God out of tradition. Well, the Dewey Rames is our Bible. Therefore, we got to put the prayers in that English. Well, I'm sure, just given because I've read a lot of books, that the people of, say, at least from, let's just say, 1920 and before, had a relative grasp, depending on their education and circumstances, of 16th century English. You know, and this brings me to a point, Father Bernard Utley also raised this point. To use the word ejaculation, now before you, some of you, uh, Children in the audience start to giggle and, you know, get edgy. When, when traditional Catholic prayer books use the word ejaculation, what they're talking about is when you exclaim something, an exclamatory prayer, as Father Utley says. Languages evolve. We're, we, you know, most, as I, as I stated in a previous episode, most people, if you use 15th century or 16th century, sorry, um, English are going to look at you like you're a freak, put it bluntly. They're going to look at you like you're a freak. Nobody speaks that way, especially nowadays. The only reason I'm even conversant with that type of English is I took Shakespeare in high school. 
most people, at least, you know, within the past, oh, I don't know, 30 years, unless they are advanced college educators, in America, we have college placement classes for the advanced students. Unless you're in one of those classes, you're probably not even going to see a line of Shakespeare. So, this was Father Utley, uh, I'm sorry, Father Bernard's point, Father Bernard Utley, his point, languages evolve. We can substitute in the Dewey Reigns um, semi-modern English that most people can understand without diluting the message of God's truth. And once again for you 300 IQ takers out there, wow! That's, that's, that's what the Vatican II Church did. And they corrupted it. Well, that's the Vatican II Church. And for those of you out there who want to be autists about this, as I never get tired of pointing out, yeah, they, they corrupted the dogma and doctrine of the true Catholic Church that doesn't keep us from studying pre-Vatican II catechisms written in everyday English. Um, it does not keep us from reading the 1917 Code of Canon Law. It does not keep us from reading Catholic history written before that council. So why should it keep us from updating the Bible that we read and the prayers that we say, as long as it gets the point across without, without deviating, number one, the core tenets of our dogma and our doctrine, and number two, deviating from, especially in the case of the Bible, of the... The messages, the messages that are in the Bible, I don't see the issue. You know, we make fun of Protestants, well, certain types of set of the contests make fun of Protestants because they say, well, they make a God of the Bible. And they do. As a former Protestant, I can speak authoritatively on this. They do. Well, a lot of them do. But, you, you know, set of the contest can do the same thing with tradition. They could take the tradition of respecting, say, a priest or a prelate and let me, I want to I wanna make sure I say this correctly. And take an exaggerated um, attitude toward what is at, at its very basis um, one of the dogmas of our faith. You do give a priest and a bishop the proper respect, but you do not put them on the pedestal. And for you, said the Contest 300 IQ takers, Vatican I defined papal infallibility. It did not say that the Pope is infallible in all things. It had a very narrow definition. The Pope is infallible in matters of faith and morals when speaking from his throne. In other words, his encyclicals, his bulls. Other than that, if um, the Pope teaches obvious errors, not necessarily heresies, but errors, or he's, he's uh, 
in the Pope, in the case of Pope Alexander VI, the Borgia Pope, if he's living a blatantly sinful life, private life that is, that doesn't not two things. Number one, it does not make him a heretical pope if he's being sinful, and if he's uh, if he's not putting his heirs in a papal encyclical or a bull, we don't, you know, if he if he's teaching an obvious error, that does not mean we blindly follow it. This, you know, um, it, it never ceases to amaze me that these people who think that they're so smart when it comes to dogma and doctrine can't even remember something as simple as papal infallibility, to a lesser degree, that also falls to our priests and our prelates. If our if our priests and prelates are giving a bad example, they they're not sacrosanct. They're not sacrosanct. You know, if if they're giving a a, a public example, not a private one. Listen, be very careful, you uh, you geniuses out there. Not a private one, a public one. If they're giving a bad example, they're open to question. Not only are they open to question, they're also open to criticism within the bounds of charity and not rash judgment. And... Once again, I realize that hypocrisy is part of being a human being. So while there is a certain segment, not everybody, but a certain segment, a set of contests, who like to make fun of, you know, the Protestants for making a, the Bible their God and the Vatican II sect members for... Uh, obstinately hanging on to an obviously heretical false church does not mean that because we have the correct doctrine that we're that we're totally correct and we are above question that is the sin of presumption nobody is above question Especially now. What I deeply fear for a certain segment of my set of a contest co-religionist is, is that these priests and prelates that they're putting on a pedestal for whatever reason if they should actually apostatize or betray their flocks, that they are not going to learn what I'm trying to say as gently as I can until it's too late. You know, I keep trying to tell Sedvacantis, we got Vatican II for a reason. And the one of the reasons is is because the previous Catholics before us put their priests and prelates on a pedestal and never enter, entertained the idea. And by the way, these same priests and prelates never entertained the idea that there were enemies within their own ranks undermining the very even if they were pious and devout, it never entered into their heads that there were enemies within the ranks. And that's why we, a couple of the reasons why we got Vatican II. And I, I've said in a previous, several previous episodes, just because you are a pre-Vatican II Council Catholic does not mean you get to check your brain at the door. It is up to you 
to um you 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 have to use the graces and the gifts that God has given to you to um discern his truth and his will as best as you can. But that does not mean that you do it unhesitantly or unthinkingly. You know, you are allowed a, a certain amount of independence. But once again, to go back to my original point, I think a lot of this has to do with people being spoon-fed and indulge. They don't want to do their own thinking. They don't, they're not interested, um, they're not interested in taking charge of their own salvation. And when I say this, I'm not saying we're, you know, we're completely and utterly responsible for our own salvation. Obviously, that's not the case. You know, there's, you know, I, I, from my own personal experience, there are certain sins that I'm dealing with that I absolutely need the, uh, the saints, our Lord, and his mother's help with that I can't do on my own. When I say take charge of our salvation, I mean not being led by the hand, not being regimented about the way you live your true Catholic faith. In the military, an unthinking automaton is the last person that you want in a foxhole with you. Because once the situation doesn't go as he expects it, or if he um, if, if he doesn't have somebody to give him orders, he freezes because he doesn't know what to do. Because Sarge over there is incapacitated. Nobody's taking charge. So guess what? He's frozen too. Which is funny because when I was in my NCOs, and for those of you who are unaware, an NCO is a sergeant and above, non-commissioned officers, that always stressed to me, use your initiative. If you see something that needs to be done, do it. Um, if if you think that there's a better way of doing something within the parameters of, you know, dogma and doctrine, do it. Don't sit around and wait for Bishop so-and-so or Father so-and-so to tell you. Do it. Because, you know, once again, you may not, you know, oh, it's a broken record. I don't care. You're not, you may not have a priest. You may not have a bishop to turn to. If you don't take initiative, what in the heck are you going to do? What in the heck? Are you going to just, you know, all freeze? Because you don't have bishop so-and-so or father so-and-so say so? So... You know, there's there's that aspect of independence. You know, you have to take initiative. And before I get some people that try to twist this on me and say, well, you're just saying we shouldn't listen to Bishop. I'm not saying that. If they... Just like in the military, which it pains me, I even have to bring this up, which is why St. Paul com compared being in the Catholic Church to being in the military. You have a chain of command, 
And within the chain of command, you, you have to follow orders. And I think part of the reason why a lot of Sedvacantists do not get the concept is, I'm not, I'm obviously not saying all of them, but a lot of them have never served in the military. So they're unfamiliar with how it works. If you are on patrol in enemy territory and you capture prisoners and your sergeant says, kill them, that's illegal. That's illegal under the Geneva Convention. You don't get the out of saying, well, my sergeant ordered me to. By the way, that's quote-unquote what the Nuremberg trials were about the Germans at the end of World War II. But, of course, that didn't stop the American army from committing atrocities on its own end, you know, during World War II and after. The only reason we got to put the Germans on trial for theirs was because we ended up, quote-unquote, on the winning side. Um. American military history prior and after World War II are filled with war atrocities. But, of course, the, the Masons that run our country don't want you to think about that because they want good little compliant sheep that need to be led by the hand and need to be taken and shown what... You know, an independent person is the most deadly person in the world today. Because an independent thinker, an independent actor, is not going to just unquestionably, unquestionably take the party line. They're not going to unquestionably do crap that they, you know, that they know is not right. And I'm I'm doing the best that I can to uh, before I get into that, let me let me clarify something. I understand, I really do, why people who call themselves true Catholics are acting no better than their secular normie counterparts when it comes to authority, when it comes to being unthinking little automatons, when it comes to, um, you know, uh, treating leadership like they're sacrosanct. Because we have been trained, and I'm not necessarily not including myself in this, we've been trained from our mother's milk to be this way. But as a line from, I think the meme, it's a meme on the internet, we must resist the programming. Okay? Um... And a lot of people rationalize and they justify how they act. Well, I'm I'm not completely, you know, swallowing the Kool-Aid. I reject Vatican II. I reject modern society. Once again, we are products of the society and the culture we live in. Like it or not. Like it or not, depending on the individual is going to depend on, you know, um, how bad the programming is embedded in them. You know, as I tried pointing out on Twitter and got sh uh, shouted down. There was an actual set of contest monk who, I, I believe he was a friar. He wasn't just a brother. He was actually a priest 
who was talking about how great World War II was. Not great, but he was, you know, he, he was proud of his father's service in the American army in World War II. Now, that's a very natural thing. That's a very natural thing. Until you come to the understanding that our government has been Masonic from the get-go and that Masonry goes deeper than a bunch of uh, middle-aged guys wearing fezes riding around in cars. Once again, I do understand um, that the reason that people are so ignorant about this is it's literally been, it's literally been hushed up. But I want to remind people of something. Just because you've never heard of it or just because you think the source is a crackpot, unless you do, you know, and unless you reject the rash judgment part of it and, and look into these things, does not make it untrue, no matter how badly you want it to be true. But this set of accountants on Twitter, Twitter wigged out on me, literally wigged out on me. Which is fine. It really is. I'm not complaining. I'm just trying to wake you guys up. You know. as I'm just trying to wake you guys up. You need. Part of being a Catholic. Is, is to be independent. Within the parameters. Once again. I know I'm stressing this a lot, but I better people than I have have been taken down by the powers that be for, for saying things a lot better than I am and for a lot less. Within the parameters of doctrine and dogma, we are allowed to for independent action and independent thought. And that that should be pretty clear, but I don't think it is cuz people ain't acting like it. So Oh, here's another thing too. Um When I used to get annoyed at, you know, set of a, a certain segment of set of contests online, it was not necessarily due to their ignorance. What annoyed me was, was here people who, they did, the best way I can put it is, is they were not living what they claimed that they were. Well, we're not modernists, but we'll put Father so-and-so or Bishop so-and-so. He's, he's sacrosanct. You can't say, oh, uh, we're not modernists, but you sat there and said that the American government is Masonic and is serving its armed forces is um, that no true Catholic should do that. You know, I want, you know, I don't have any issue with the American government. Once again, modernists think these things. A true Catholic thinks my government is basically pagan. That's how our church started was within the compounds of a pagan empire, they gave it grudging consent. 
but they did not go against the teachings of their church. That is why I I got um, uh, impatient and angry with those people because one of my flaws as a human being is hypocrisy. I've, I've said it in several of my earlier episodes. I don't like it. I try not to be that way. And as I said before, when it comes to to the seculars, the, the heretics, and the schismatics, I expect that from them because they literally don't know better. But if you're calling yourself a pre-Vatican II Catholic and you don't understand the concept that our government is pagan, our culture is pagan, and our society is pagan, and that no matter how you slice it, we are all products of that culture and society. As I said before, depending on the individual, will depend on the level of how badly you're sunk in the mire. And before I get done here, I want to stress part of this hypocrisy is to to use the term modernist as a prerogative toward the people that you you don't like the way they think and you don't like the way they act and not realize at the same time two things. Number one, number one, that out of the sake of charity, instead of using the term modernist as an insult, maybe you should pray for them. Maybe you should pray for their conversion. And number two, having the humility to understand that you have no business downgrading anyone yourself because you are no better than they are in God's eyes. As I said in my last episode, I don't care how squeaky clean you think you are. You are not a canonized saint. Therefore, you don't you don't get you don't get to judge other people. You need to deal with yourself first. And in closing, I'm going to end with this thought. I'm sure that there's going to be some members of my audience who are probably going to think to themselves, well, you're talking about not judging. You're, you're, you're just basically going off on, on, your, uh, on, on your co-religionists. Um, I want to make this absolutely clear. If you can't understand English, very basic English, unless you're a foreigner, that's on you. I'm going to make this very clear. There's a huge difference between what some of my co-religionists do and what I'm doing here. And that is the fact that I, I am fully aware of my faults, shortcomings, weaknesses, and sins. I have stated ad nauseum that I'm either guilty of right now or have been guilty of in the past of these very same things. The difference is I recognize my faults with the Lord Jesus and his blessed mother's help and the saints, I, I Lord willing, will overcome them. A lot of what goes on with a certain segment of Sedic Contis is they literally think that they are holier than everybody else because they're in the right religion. And that's presumption. So that's 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 all you're gonna get 
That's all you're going to get. I've made, it doesn't get any simpler than that. And honestly speaking, in keeping with my policy of not explaining myself, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go any deeper than that. It shouldn't need to go any deeper than that. Anybody of goodwill and right intention and a fairly unclouded mind should be able to grasp what I'm saying here and see the truth in it. If you can't, as I said before, I hate it for you. I do. You know, uh, Lord willing, you'll catch up. Lord willing. But if you want to remain mired in what, you, you know, in your way of thinking, uh, nothing I say or do is going to change your mind. And it's, as I said before, it's going to take a literal act of God to wake you up. So, that's the end of my random thought. Um, I want to thank you for your time. And I care about everybody. Now, because I am a true Catholic, I realize not everyone's going to accept the graces that God gives them to get out of the mire that they're living in. So... But I would like to see as many people who are willing to accept those graces get to heaven. And at the end of the day, along the lines of what the topic of today's episode is, you have to be willing to use your independence and accept those graces and then move wherever God's will leads you to go. And I pray for everyone. And take that for what it's worth. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your patience. Have a good day. And from the bottom of my heart, God bless you. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.